Howdy, y'all. So here we are on Jet Blast Podcast again. It's hot. Lee, how hot is it? Oh, my God. So I was in Texas. Obviously, that's where I live. But I was in Denton. My son had a football camp. And I did not realize that the turf is probably a good 20 degrees hotter. I swear it felt like 20 degrees hotter than the grass. Thank God he was practicing on the grass side of the field. But I think the heat index was like at 112. I think I lost about 13 pounds. I'm just going to go with that because I think that was every bit of moisture in my body, but I did survive and um, the kid survived. He, you know, he always survives. I don't know how he does it, but it is hot, but I don't, I don't complain too much about the heat because by God, I cannot live in the cold, but I could definitely go Mm. inside in the air conditioner out of the heat, but we survived, but you are right. It's hot. It's probably not as pretty hot as you hanging out on the beach right now, but you know, whatever. Uh, allegedly, on allegedly, we have a view of the beach. I know it's this work from. I have a view. I've been in here working <laughs> all day one day. I haven't. I, I got to touch the sand yesterday. I'm, I'm questioning whether I'm going to get to touch it before I leave here or not. There that's you all go. Good. That's all good. Is so, Andy. What about Michigan weather? You can't be quite as hot. Not quite as hot. Yeah. I just got off. Five degrees is hot there. Yeah, I, I was just out doing some ice fishing yesterday, so that was nice. <laughs> Uh, it's it, it's been steamy. It's supposed to be like 96 here on Wednesday, so it'll be uh mm. be hotter than Nathan and his speedo. So that's gonna be <laughs> that's right, baby. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's a little unusual for us, but I'm not putting the air conditioning into the window this year. That's my goal. So I've been managing the open the windows at night, close them when the temperature outside meets the temperature inside. So I'm too cheap to pay for the electricity right now so tighter okay. in the hat band there is no way i'd be that cheap <laughs> ac goes on all, i mean it's just like 300 days out of the year here i'm it ain't uh, happening. You know, i'm just i'm i'm watching the environment up here in michigan we're looking out for all the people in texas that use so this electricity <laughs> send me your electricity so i get my air conditioner going because evidently some of this stuff doesn't work on our grid but whatever no it's been it's been good but yeah super excited today to uh to introduce probably the biggest legend to me. Uh, I mean, I even, I was named after him, if you can believe that. Uh, Andy, Andy Keel from Executive Jet Management is here. Uh, he carved out some time in his busy schedule. So Andy, what's going on, man? Oh, a little bit of everything. Thanks thanks for having me today, guys. I really appreciate the, uh, the invite and uh, you know, glad to be with everybody today. Have you ever been called the legend before in your meetings and everything there? That, uh, that, Mr. Has, Keel? Not, that has not been something I've been referred to uh, <laughs> until, uh, until Mr. Nixon has, has reached out to me. So uh, I guess we'll have to see if this sticks around or not, or if uh, this is uh, just for the podcast here today. Just for the podcast. Well, I mean, I, I had some business cards pre-ordered for you that have Andy, quote, legend, Keel. Um, on them so you'll be getting those soon. thanks I'll, I'll make sure to take those to all industry events and pass them out that's right <laughs> well i mean I was, you know uh so see then you know we were talking about how do you know which one we were talking about you know is it do we do we refer to you as like mr legend i mean i'm not really sure i'm trying to figure this out mr legend mr keel um, you know, I, I don't really know, but the, uh, I was like, super excited. I mean, a lot of people know Andy and different things, but you know, it's a, 
there's always certain people who are able to articulate what they do very well in the industry and the services they do. And, you know, um, Mr. Keel, the legend, has always been able to do that pretty well. You know, you, how long have you been with EJM? So uh, two weeks ago, I had my 19 year anniversary with EJM. Wow. Did you start when you were like four? Wow. Yeah, yeah. hot minute. Actually, actually, it's been a little bit longer than that. So I, I started, uh, I went, went to Purdue uh, to get my bachelor's degree and my AMP uh, in aeronautical technology. And uh, between my junior and senior year, I was actually a uh, intern here in Cincinnati for EJM. So kind of got my feet wet working, uh, working third shift in our repair station at the time, pulling panels and, and uh, helping AMPs with inspections. And um, they said, hey, when you, when you graduate, you've got your degree and you've got your AMP, come on back and we'll have a place for you. And uh, it's been a great ride ever since. That's awesome. I love it. Hey, you guys do a lot with the uh, with the mentoring and you, you do the internships and all that stuff every year, right? Yeah, we're, you know, we, we of course took a, a, a break for COVID, but uh, unfortunately, um, but the year before that, we really formalized um, the uh, the co-op program and we had, uh, actually we had Nathan Sun here and that was during one of a, a, a really uh, good, well put together year um that had a lot of fun i mean it, it made me want to come back as a co-op because we were taking them to baseball games and showing them a great time but also really giving them a good snapshot of the industry and um rotating them through various departments so they can see you know how operations works how owner services works how finance works and of course the fleet maintenance office here that i'm a part of so really neat it's back um it's back this year our co-ops just reported uh for duty last week i believe we've got uh six or so um, so definitely excited to, uh, you know, give all these young kids a taste of what we do. So, so if you've been there, I mean, you've been there like just around, around even 20 years. And, you know, one of the things in a conversation that Nathan and I've had over the years is just talking about how managing, how, how maintenance flight departments have changed and, you know, how, you know, in the beginning, an aircraft management company wasn't quite as normal where now that's almost you start with that figuring out what's going on and you know how how is how have you seen that change just over the your time just just in this little chunk of time yeah sure it's um it's made quite a change for sure so um like i said when i first when i first started i started a repair station uh doing inspections on citations and falcons and that kind of stuff and uh moved into the management side of our business in about 2005 so that's when I got the real, you know, kind of taste of aircraft management. Um, and at, at that time, things were a real heavy charter focus. Mm. So airplanes that were with us were with us because of our 135 air carrier certificate. And they were looking to offset expenses by doing charter. Um, then, as we know, just a few years after that, there was a downturn of the economy and, and the recession. And, um, you know, it was interesting to see how different companies navigated through that. Um, we made a focused effort to go after uh, part 91 airplanes. And our CEO at the time said, you know, if, if you price it right, you can make money in the 91 world as a management company, but you have to do it right. You have to add value. Um, you know, you have to show your worth every month, right? And earn what our CFO at the time called mailbox money, right? And that's how, that's how we got through it. You know, just provide a, a, a fantastic service, be part of a, uh, you know, large fleet. And with that comes some fleet type benefits. And um, really in the overall budget, the management fee was uh, essentially a rounding error. Wow. Hmm. 
So about when you look at your percentages right now, about what do you think your percentage of 90, like just solely, I guess you break it down into three. You have like solely 135, you have the combos, the 135 and 91s, and then you have the purely 91s. About what is that breakdown right now over your fleet? So I think we're at about 75 to 80% of our airplanes are what we consider fully managed, meaning we employ, you know, the crew members there. Um, it, it's, it's the full service offering that we provide as a management company. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say probably we have about 245 airplanes in our fleet. I'd say about 180 of them are out there doing some level of charter, whether that's internal charter uh, for their own businesses or if that's uh, them putting themselves out there to do retail charter in the charter market. That's a nice chunk of that one. Yeah. And yeah. then do they stay on it? I've always yeah. wondered, do they, they like, do they like being able to charter that or do they, do you have some people who say, I don't want strangers on my planes anymore? Every account's different. You know, we have, we have uh, the accounts who want as much charter as you can give them. And if we can give them 600 hours or 800 hours or even a thousand hours of charter a year, which seems like crazy numbers, then they would absolutely take it. We have some that just, you know, they, they want to justify that third pilot, for instance, or they just mm offset some expenses, some fixed costs, right? Yeah. Um, then maybe they have a, a, a goal that says, we just want to do a hundred hours of charter a year and we're going to fly the airplane, say 250, 91 hours. So we think 350 is a nice balance for our staffing. It fits well within the maintenance cycle of the airplane and it doesn't put too much wear and tear on things. And that's kind of the sweet spot that they want to target. So, you know, our folks have, have those goals from a charter standpoint and, um, you know, we try to manage those expectations accordingly. What's the smallest airplane you have that y'all manage, Andy? Well, we've got Mr. a couple. We've got a couple, couple helicopters. We had a Honda Jet for a little while, um, but we're we're pretty uh, heavy class oriented. You know, we've mm-hmm. got the Global seventy five hundreds and Global sixty five hundred six thousands and the G six fifty ERs, of course, and um, the Falcon World, the seven X eight X. But we do have a, a couple what we consider small cabin airplanes, um, you know, a Phenom and a Citation Encore. So, but like I said, primarily focused on the heavy cabin airplanes. And you guys would, y'all have added like a crazy amount of airplanes in the short go, haven't you? Yeah, here lately, it's uh, it, it's an it's an interesting time. So you know, it's as you know, Nathan, from, you know, just the, the market availability of a bunch of, you know, folks getting into private aviation for the first mm-hmm. time. And a lot of those folks don't necessarily know, you know, it's managing an asset like an aircraft isn't, you know, business that they have experience with, but they want to utilize That's the right. tool, right? So they got to go somewhere. And, uh, you know, we've, we've got some folks that are coming to us like that. Um, or just a lot of transactions, right? They're, they're, you know, selling one airplane, buying another one. And, you know, if we think about our conformity team and how many airplanes we conform each year, um, you know, last year we were 55, 60 airplanes, but maybe that's only a, a fleet growth of, you know, 25 airplanes, for instance. And, you know, you, sure, um, sure. you know, trading in one airplane and getting another, well, that's, that's two transactions for a net growth of zero, right? So there's yeah. always that kind of churn going on and all of that work taking place. Yeah, it's a lot of work. So how do y'all, um, I, and I know this is something, so for the, the other thing that Andy does, because he doesn't have enough to do besides um, raising a Wait, beautiful which, Andy? family of young ladies, um, Andy 
the the El Conquistador, oh, okay, um, the legend. Okay, just um, sure. <laughs> so, so the other thing he does besides raise his beautiful family and keep um, the EJM world in check is is he is uh, part of the leadership team for the maintenance committee for MBAA. So I'm, I'm curious, Andy, how do you all, and I know it's a big focus for the committee, how do you all go about finding um, technicians right now? I mean, it's a, it's a hard find, right, to um, find experienced, qualified technicians that want to relocate. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I, will, I will start to answer that question by saying that one of the things I learned early on is establish your network, right? And I know that you've probably yeah. heard that. I've listened to, you know, these your, your podcast before, and I know it's been talked about before. And I will just reiterate what other folks have said. Um, it's a it's a great business. It's a big business, but it is really a small business. And um, mm-hmm. you know, I think time well spent, um, you know, doing the work with MBAA or whatever alphabet committee you want to, you know, spend your time in or how you want to connect or, you know, get yourself out there, whether it's, you know, LinkedIn or committees or, you know, whatever it is you, you find interest in, start establishing that network, you know, because now when there's, you know, times like the world we're living in today, where we're all looking for really good people. Um, it's, it's nice to have uh, points of contact that you can turn to. Um, myself and the other uh, two teams here that we we you know all together manage our fleet collectively. We all do our interviews together, and um, when there's a candidate that comes down the pipeline, chances are we're you know one of us knows somebody who knows that person, right? And it's it's simply right. because we're, we're so connected to our network. It wasn't until recently we were actually even needed. HR's help, you know, to recruit for maintenance tech positions because we all just knew that next person that was next in line for, you know, whatever that next opportunity Mm -hmm. was going to be. You know, I think Mm -hmm. that's interesting, Andy, because, um, you know, when I look at the people who are, are, are your DOMs who are managing maintenance for your, for your fleet, it's, it's interesting because they, they have so much experience. So, I mean, that kudos to EJM. Y'all have to be doing something right because you're getting some really good people to manage these aircraft and, you know, they're, they're hanging around no matter how many times you fire Ian, he's still there. So, you know, (laughs) he is the best though, isn't he? Yes, he is. You gotta (laughs) love him, but you know, but you know, there, there's something about that. The, you know, y'all have, y'all have a lot of very long-term technicians um, managing your aircraft. Yeah, you know what? I, I think it's the I think it's a, a simple recipe, and maybe it's easier said than done. But um, you know, work for a work for a very uh, you know well respected company with great credentials, with great backing and great support. You know, um, being a Berkshire Hathaway company, of course, has its uh, has its uh, you know great benefit to us, and and that's not something that every you know company has. But really, since you know my entire time here over the past almost 20 years, um, you know, I was thinking a way to say this in our discussion today, but I want to say that it's a comfortable place to work. And I don't mean comfortable. Like I've got things on cruise control and I can just come in at eight sure. o'clock, at five yeah. o'clock. I mean, it's comfortable that I'm a certificated individual who puts my AMP certificate on the line every single day. Right. We've got pilots who, you know, execute flights every single day and put their ATP on the flight log. And I've never been challenged, right? Never been pressured, never been forced, never been coerced. Mm. It's a place where everybody here has what we call the veto, you know, flag. If, if somebody isn't feeling good about aviating that day, then we take a timeout. 
and it doesn't matter who it is. Yeah, that's right. If it's the most important client. It doesn't matter if it's the most you know revenue gaining charter, whatever it is. You know, our our, our DO or previous DO would say if the wheels on the jet don't need to turn, then we don't turn the wheels on the jet that day, right? So, um, you know, we, I think if if you kind of live by that and you have your priorities really in the line in the order in which they should be, um, then everything else will just kind of come natural, right? Like our, our, our DOMs are, are, you know, crew chiefs out in the field that we hire, they come here because of that, right? Yeah. They know that right. it's going to be a great place to work. They're going to get tons of support from the office here in Cincinnati. They're going to get, get great benefits from their employer, but most importantly, like we're going to let them do their jobs to the level in which they've, you know, earned throughout their career so with that mm-hmm. we're able to attract pretty top talent you know who have been doing it for a hot minute and just want to have a place where they can come in and do it well well you know you talked about your network and i was talking to one of your new newer doms um the other day and he was just he was so excited because i think we talk about how what a small community aviation is and you you touched on it where you know you only you already know the people who are applying between the three of you somebody knows this person or they know of them, or they know who their last boss was, or their last coworker. I mean, you know, but the fact, you know, he was just mentioning, he's like, I'm still, I, I only have one airplane. It's still just me, but I have a huge team. Besides my, my network I've been building, I have this team behind me. I can call in and I never feel like I'm an, on an island. Mm-hmm. And I think that I thought I, when he was talking about that, you know, he did, he touched on the benefits. He, they're, they're awesome, all that other stuff. But he was, it was the fact that he wasn't necessarily on an island. And I think, you know, that's the, that's the, when you build your network, those are the things you try to build. So if you have your network, but then you also have the company, I always thought that when, when he was telling me that and he articulated it that way, and I was like, okay, that's, that's, that's what I've been trying to say. And I thought that was a really good, and that's a very, that's a very good um, kudos, kudos to EJM, because if you can feel that way, that's, you know, I'm not saying that everybody's perfect, nobody's perfect, everybody, but you know, when you start to feel that way, that, that comfortable in that, cause you're, you have a team behind you. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that's one of the things I think we differentiate ourselves from other companies is, is just our fleet office here outside of my, my office. Um, we've got a, a, a team of about 60 folks within our fleet maintenance team who are all certificated A&Ps themselves, you know, and they have various job responsibilities ranging from maintenance planning, um, you know, service contracts, folks who help with, you know, the corporate carriers and the MSPs of, you know, the world. We've got two avionics program managers who, you know, help with, installs or subscriptions or wi-fi rates or you know making sure we're on the right plan we've got an engine program manager who looks at health trend monitoring and you know the technical aspects of that arranging you know rentals and coordinating insurance and bailment agreements and everything else but really what it allows us to do is you know other than physically turning the wrench there's a counterpart here so our folks out in the field can solely focus on that airplane right they can put the best airplane on the ramp you know, every morning for their crews and for their owners. Nice. I is like that it. your grandpa for you, Andy? Is that, is that your Myers? That's your backup? That's your back office there, you and grandpa? Well, it's interesting in his old age because he's 79 now, and I've been having this fuel delivery issue that I've been chasing. And uh, he, he tries really hard now to rack his brain and remember when he built the plane how the whole system works and he's like drawing it out and like oh man i'm never gonna figure this out right now like what what am i gonna do when you're gone i'm never gonna be able to fix this thing you 
could say that. I just have to, I just have to oversee his, he did. I have the power of veto over almost every decision he makes because he just does such weird, you know, if you catch hanger. it in time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's why he doesn't have a key to the hangar. <laughs> I got to make sure that I'm there and I escort him into the hangar and then I escort him back out and wait for him to leave the gate, you know? <laughs> oh my gosh. I just had a picture of your grandpa's sneaking back into the hangar because you locked him out yeah. uh, with the bolt cutters well he showed up on his motorcycle last weekend to help me out with something and i watched him for a while before i opened it to see if he would ride around the fence somehow <laughs> because that's normally what he does but the fence was it was too much for him so he had to stand there and wait for the gate so that crossed something off my list of a fear i guess have a fear. Well, that's good. It's grandpa proof. That's awesome. Um, you know, but uh, there's so Mr. Keel, I, I just I can't call you the legend the whole time. I, I was going to try, but I, I can't, but I can't call you Mr. Please don't. Keel. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> um, but I can't, I can't differentiate. I, I don't think I call you Andrew either, but um, the, uh, you know, the, when we talk about some of the you're talking about like the new entries into people and you know there's so many new entries into business aviation people who've never owned an aircraft before and I think that manage a management company and you know there's there's some really good options out there I mean there's a lot of different ones there's something that fits everybody's everybody's needs but you know I think that it's when we see this change in the industry I think it really benefits some of these new entrants what I mean what do you I mean what do you think I mean when you have somebody brand new to aviation yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's it's kind of, uh, I mean, of, of course, I think that everybody should come here who wants to be here and we'd like to manage, you know, all <laughs> the great airplanes of the industry, but definitely know that that's um, not realistic. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's, I'm sure Nathan probably sees it a lot too, as he's got, a, you know, a buyer yeah. into an airplane and, you know, they just, they don't know what they don't know. And, you know, if I can go, this, this team can manage my airplane or that team can manage my airplane, we'll why don't I just go with the one that's cheaper? Right. I mean, like, mm. I mean, yeah, probably don't know yeah. differentiators or, you know, what do you really look for um, when you hire a management mm-hmm. company? How do management companies work? Right. Cause not all management right. companies definitely don't work the same. They don't all make money the same way. They don't all price the same way. Um, you know, no, yeah. it's almost like, you know, find somebody who can, who can, you know, give you the ABCs on hiring a management company. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's right, Andy and um, El Conquistador. Um, we, uh, we always, um, you know, when we have a, a person new to aviation or trying to strike out maybe on their own, even in aviation, we always tell them, like, look, there's a whole lot of you don't know what you don't know. And during the transaction process, we can't teach you all of that, right? As a client, we can teach you as much as we can, but you're not going to retain it all. So it's, it's, I mean, listen, we always advocate for finding a management company that resonates with, with you as an owner to help you get started out, figure it out, right? I mean, if down the road that doesn't necessarily fit, then, then you can talk about that with the management company and, and, and do something different if you need to. But I think, you know, to jump in blindly and grab a couple of pilots off the street and hope for the best is a fool's errand. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What's the, so if besides full-blown management for those people that don't really know uh, myself included, what are the other options for somebody if they were a part 91, you know, what does EJM offer as far as, you know, is it 
just the pilots or is it kind of like a cafeteria style? They can pick what they want you to do or how does that work? Yeah. So really our product is two offerings. It's full management or charter management. So within full management, you can be on our air carrier certificate or not. You can be 91 or 135, but you know, really full management is, you know, we're going to, we're going to, plan and budget for the aircraft we're going to you know coordinate and schedule into you know service centers and visits and manage all that on your behalf we're going to employ the crew members meaning the pilots and flight attendants and maintenance technicians we're going to handle all of the invoicing we're going to handle all the liaisoning with the faa right whereas in the in the uh charter management world it's a little bit different it's it's management light maybe that um flight crew is employed directly by the owner or the owner's office um, and they're really with us just for our air carrier certificate. So if you think about that, you wouldn't have like mm-hmm. a charter managed part 91 account, right? Cause then we're doing right. So, um, those charter management, uh, accounts of ours, they're just with us for the air carrier certificate. They need a 135, whether it's to, you know, do some retail charter for revenue purposes or because they need it for their business. Um, so we don't provide the same level of service. We don't, you know, do their um, maintenance scheduling and, and, and planning. We don't have, you know, program managers dedicated to making sure that they're optimizing the way they're doing things. But on the maintenance side, they, they do have to use our approved vendor network and mm. they do get returned to service through our fleet maintenance office because we have to, you know, ensure they're, you know, upholding the, the standard of our uh, air carrier certificate. And so if they're doing the charter management, I'm assuming that there is a, a vetting process that you guys would do as well, right? And say, we don't want this plane or, or yes, we would, or how does that work? Yeah, essentially, as far as the airplane goes, the onboarding is the same, whether it's full managed or charter managed, because we're going to bring the airplane, mm-hmm. we're going to go out the field and we're going to survey the airplane. We're going to capture the records. We're mm-hmm. going to build uh, the, the, the maintenance history into our tracking program. Uh, and we're going to figure out where that airplane is. And it's, um, you know, in it's, in it's, maintenance requirements and then we're physically going to do a survey out in the field and then when it makes sense we invite the airplane to come to Cincinnati where our FISDO will do a, a, a inspection of the aircraft as well so all that's going to produce some you know discrepancies of course both in the records uh, and on you know physically on the aircraft and once mm-hmm. all those uh, discrepancies are resolved then we uh, we move to add the airplane to our certificate. Seems like a good thing to bring up the uh, or maintain the value in your aircraft. If you said, yeah, it's been managed by EJM and and here's everything. It's all up to speed. And, um, you know, instead of some of the hodgepodge stuff that I'm sure Nathan and Lee have to experience with record keeping. Yeah, we think so. I mean, we're we're pretty darn proud of our airplanes and the way we do it. Um, we've got a uh, let's call it a mature airplane that's in pre-buy right now. And they just generated the pre-buy report, went back to the OEM. And this is a, it's, it's a higher time and probably 20 year old airplane. It's seven discrepancies. So oh, wow. How long have y'all been managing it? Uh, since it got refurbed uh, about four years ago. Um, so, you know, we did a care certificate. We, you know, did a, a full conformity on it. We managed the, the paint and interior refurb and all of the visits since. And, you know, we've had a, a really strong, dedicated, uh, crew chief assigned to it, um, you know, a crew who takes great care of the airplane and, you know, that's where it shows. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's something that, you know, salaries are high and people say, you know, management services are expensive and everything else, but you know, what'd you just save in your pre-buy? Right. Yeah. Say. You almost come right. out of it. Right. You had it managed properly. 
Well, listen, it's a pay me now, pay me later thing. I mean, we tell people that all the time, right, before we list a plane or buy a plane. It's like, you know, you you can deal with it on the front end inside of a solid managed maintenance program. And, and we can get it knocked out or you can pay more and potentially blow up the deal during a pre-buy. Your call, right? I mean, and it's like a house, right? Once it falls out of pre-buy, it's hard to get max value. Yeah. Well, I think, well, I think like one of, the, one of the, I mean, and this is for managed aircraft, but I think as one of the things that, Aunt, um, I'm sorry, Mr. Keel was talking about in a conversation from a few years ago is the is like the ability to forecast maintenance and maintenance events and your budget because one of the things that you know we were talking about a lot is like when you're making a quote or you're going out and regardless of if you're making a quote but if you're just working internally on whether you're whoever it is who's in charge of that maintenance function the ability to look and to forecast I, I get it. It's not 100% accurate, but still there are so you can make some very educated assumptions based on your do list, based on the aircraft, based on, you know, that, that fleet data that you have, whether it's internally or externally, but, you know, it, um, sorry, Mr. Keel, that was one of the things that I thought was really, really interesting was when you were talking about that forecasting of the maintenance and operations budget. So, I mean, could you just, humor the nerd in me because I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, no, we were, you know, we have a whole team of maintenance planners, you know, here that uh, that that's what they do. They're, they're looking at extended do lists and they're thinking, you know, um, nine, 12 months down the road, when can we, you know, get this uh, inspection into a service center and, you know, get a slot held for it, you know, and, and you know, side note, in, in today's world, you better have, you know, somebody looking at that well in advance because, you know, spaces, spaces are, are, are full and there is no room at the end, right? So, um, no room at the end and no parts. If you're not planning accordingly, you're going to be uh, SOL, right? So, um, no, one of the things that we found, you know, is, is, is imperative is just kind of understanding the intent of the maintenance program that the aircraft is on, right? Mm-hmm. All of our airplanes for the most part are on manufacturer's recommended maintenance program. And one of the limitations of a lot of maintenance tracking programs is the ability to forecast inspections. So Lee, that conversation we had a couple of years ago is, you know, let's say we want to plan out six years because we want to get, you know, the, mm-hmm. the warranty, right. we want to figure out, you know, what's going to come due over this next six years. Well, how many 2C inspections are you going to do in those six years? Because in, in your do list, you only show one. Right. But we know that we're going to have to do three, right? And so, yes. like, how do you right. how do you teach somebody, you know, that for the, the 50 different model types that we operate? And they all have their own chapter fives. They all have their own inspection requirements. Mm-hmm. So having software that has that technology to be able to forecast inspections like that, you know, is, uh, that, it's definitely important. Well, and it's, you know, and it's also having that knowledge and that background. So, you know, I know this is going to go down here when I'm looking at what's going on, what can I do as far as like upgrades, you know, what can I do to combine um, my, my upgrades or even, you know, unscheduled maintenance with scheduled maintenance, you know, have I deferred something so long, but I can't defer it anymore. How do I make sure I'm maximizing my downtime, you know, because it all comes back to hours, you know, if they're going to remove the panel, what 
I need to be proactive enough in my thought, in my thought process to understand what else can I get done? You know, cause I want to maximize those dollars in those times when, when it gets out there. And then, because then also that goes back to showing your value as a professional into the management of your asset, whether it's, you know, on a 91 where it's just, you know, I I've, I've saved this much money because I've been able to do this or in a, like a 135, I have been it because of aircraft availability, we've been able to make this much money, you know, you know, having to change your point of view as you're looking at those things. So, I mean, how do you, as an individual being able to think this way, whether it's because you're doing managed maintenance or whether it's because, you know, you're just trying to be proactive in the best steward of your aircraft. Those things always fascinate me because yeah. I mean, there's so much planning and there's so many what ifs and, you know, you touched on it right now. How do you maximize it right now when you can't find parts, people or a slot, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we try to be proactive in everything we're doing. You know, we've got, uh, internal to the, the company, we've got an owner reporting team and they're, they're kind of like the data crunching wizards, right? So, you know, we, we give them all this maintenance projection stuff and that if there's anything, you know, quantifiable, they can report on it and capture it. And all of our clients, it's interesting. They want to see something different, right? Sometimes, oh. we, have, sometimes we have to give them this information because they're looking for an exit strategy. Sometimes they want yep. to know all their big downtimes are so they can plan accordingly. Sometimes they say, oh, we don't want to be a January airplane. We want to be a June airplane, you know, so to figure that out, you know, you have to, you know, be sure you know how things are going to reoccur and how tolerances work and grace works and everything else within the maintenance, you know, plan. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, trying to stay ahead of everything from a, from a proactive standpoint and, uh, and report on it accurately to all of our clients is the challenge. And, you know, it, it takes a lot of really smart people to do that. And, you know, definitely fortunate to be surrounded by plenty of those. I guess yeah. Lee and Nathan and I will not be working there anytime soon then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Oh, well, maybe Lee, but Andy, you, me and you are out. So. There's <laughs> only room for one legend, Andy. I mean, Andy Jr. You know, I will, I will say in, in support of what um, Andy Keel just said, I, I will say that, um, I've always been impressed by, and, and I'm not saying this because he's on here. I've always been impressed by and enjoyed being in the company of the team there in, in Cincinnati. I, I really do, Andy. Think you all have an excellent team. Specifically, I'm sure the rest of the company's great, but the the folks I interact with are on the maintenance side, and um, you know that that goes to great leadership, which um, you deserve some credit for that for sure. I appreciate that. You know, I I think about you know people my age, right. in my early forties have been doing this, you know, here at EJM, you know, since straight out of school. And I look at, you know, people who are my age and they've worked maybe three or four different jobs, you know, in that same amount of time, they'll go mm -hmm. they'll some, someplace four or five years. And I think about myself, like, what if I only ever had one job, one, like one employer on my resume, like, would that be good or would that be bad? And, you know, I think like I'm surrounded by a bunch of really good people and we don't have a, like, we don't have a widget that we make. We don't have, mm -hmm. you know, a thing that we've patented, right? Like we provide a service. So it's, right. it's good people just being passionate about what they do and providing a service. Mm -hmm. And we have that, like that grows more and more here every single day. Right. And I, I, I get to go to, you know, all the MROs, I get to go to all the OEMs. I get to see what other management companies do. You know, I get to see so many different parts of this industry in my position 
I don't know where I would go, you know, that would be able to match that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that to me is the most important, you know, part of, you know, just having job satisfaction and everything else is being surrounded, you know, by people who are like-minded in the way that they want to aviate. And, you know, kind of goes back to my, it's comfortable, you know, comment that yeah. you started with. It's comfortable because we're all rowing the boat in the same direction, right? And we all just want to do the best we can for our clients you know, aviate the safest way, the best way possible. And, um, and that's what makes it great. Yeah. As far as the one company on your resume, man, I would say this to you, um, worry about that when it gets here, right. And focus more on, you know, what you're already doing, right. And, and building your network and and contributing and giving back like you do to the maintenance committee and some other places. Right. I I think the, I think that's like a, Know, what if I get hung up in that tree over there when I'm fishing? Well, the only way not to get hung up is don't go fishing. So just worry about that stuff later, right? So, <laughs> well, I, think yeah, that, I think that's a great point, though. But I think it's also, you know, um, it, it is being involved because it's very easy. Like a lot of people, I think back in the day when you didn't have maybe as many opportunities, yeah. you worked for one company and you <laughs> were just kind of siloed. But, you know, now, yeah. even even if you never left your office, you can still build this entire worldwide network now with with through social media and through technology in a way you never could before. And, you know, I mean, fortunately, a lot of us move all the way around and we do different things. And, you know, I, yeah. I have to admit, Mr. Keel, I think if somebody knew that you were on the market, I do not think it would take very long for you to be doing something else. So no, I've, I've, already, I've already sent him an offer letter you did is that the email i just got (laughs) (laughs) i I think it's like my great-grandparents worked at the same company forever that's back when you had a pension and that's just what you did and you have so many people like especially in corporate america now it's sickening on how many leaders are just like they're just flash in the pan like you know lee iacocca was even one of them he would go from ford to general motors to Chrysler, he was doing all that stuff. He was a great leader, but then when he would leave, everything would fall apart because he wasn't able to, right. you know, let that go from the top down and trickle down. So when you have people that stick with the company and start at the at the bottom and work their way up, pretty soon you have somebody that's so well rounded someday that's, you know, in charge and and they're able to shape the team and and to keep the business going forward. So it's it's cool to see you're not just uh, looking for a golden parachute like a lot of the other people nowadays are. They just don't give it a chance. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, it's, it's, like I said, it's been great. And uh, I look forward to the next 19 years, right? It's uh, um, right talked about it a bit this morning and, you know, just the, the effects of your work, you know, and being passionate about your work and um, it being an investment, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this, it, this isn't just yeah. in years of, uh, of, of paychecks and that's it. You know, I'm invested in my career and the company and, you know, very passionate about it. And it's cool seeing that, uh, that investment, you know, being a two-way street that, you know, I feel appreciated here and I feel like I am, you know, a, a valued member of the team. And, you know, that's important as well. So we saw, so we saw pictures. It's important. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Lee. No, that's okay. Go ahead. I was just going to say it's important for your team to feel that way too, right? And so I, I, I think that's exactly it. You know, that's the one thing we continue to hear that it's not just about comp anymore, right? It's about feeling feeling valued as part of the team, right? And that the work you're doing matters. So that's that's, that's 
that's cool that you're there. You know, I think it's awesome. I mean, two decades of EJM, right? Mm-hmm. Who would have thunk it? Well, I think you hit on an important part there, Nathan. I mean, just make like, I've got a large team of folks, right? Myself and my two counterparts, we have all of our outbase yeah. folks and the majority of our uh, maintenance management team here in the office report up to us. So we each have a team of about 55 or so individuals. And like, how do you lead a team that big? Well, you answer your phone for one, right? Mm-hmm. You, give them, you give them the support that they need when, they, when, when they've got something going on, whether it's personally in their life or with the airplane mm-hmm. owner, it's a technical problem. It's a argument with a crew member. It's whatever it is. You give them that support, right? And I think we'll all agree, like the airplanes are the easy part in the business, right? Oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's just being there. I've, I've heard it more than once. You know what I like about you? You answer your phone. And I think like, you scream, yeah, right on, you know, and, and you follow up and you just be responsive to uh, the things that you need to do. And you treat people like human beings and just give them, you know, support and you give them, you know, empathy and you give them guidance, I think is uh, if, if you can figure that out, you're on a great start. I think love it. And yep. also when I get my Sabre liner, do you think you can get me up to a thousand <laughs> hours a year on charter revenue? Yeah. How many, how many, <laughs> maybe we need to fire up the uh, MRO insider app and see how many parts are available for that thing. We're going to need to yeah, add some right vendors. Well, I think people would take selfies with it, you know, when they were doing AOGs and they'd think it's pretty cool. It's very nostalgic. <laughs> very nostalgic. Oh my. I was just thinking, um, you know, if, if you look on uh, Mr. Keel's LinkedIn, he has a sweet, sweet picture taking his daughter to work with him one day, um, the other day. And I wonder, are we going to be able to see him with a grandchild here after he finishes his next 20? You know, what, what's it going to be? Are we going to see like this whole like little generational thing over at EJM? It better be more years than that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I was <laughs> yeah. thinking. You know, she's just That's a little right. young. My, yeah. Well, mine turns 19 on Wednesday. So, you know, 20 years from now, I'm like, oh, gosh. That's crazy. I have yeah. a 12-year-old and six-year, six-year-old twin. So all girls. I'm surrounded by beautiful girls. Yes, you are. Nice. You have a beautiful family. Beautiful, nice. beautiful family. A beautiful, tall family. I always say that. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Keel is uh, ridiculously tall whenever you see him live. It's I can see something from like a mile away down the aisleways. Something that doesn't translate well in a podcast. Doesn't translate. We all look, we all look yeah, about yeah, the same height. Yeah. Andy and I appreciate that. Yeah. We're like, okay, yeah, we appreciate yeah. that. We all look tall. <laughs> we all look tall in a podcast. It's great. Um, but uh, hilarious. Well, you know, and I think um, so. On a, on a serious note, I, I, it is hard to call you Mr. Keel or something else the whole time because Andy, you, you, you are okay. Okay, it's uh, you know, thank you so much for joining us because I think there's, you know, there's always this changes. Change is hard, and a lot of people going to a management company if somebody's been in a long time, it is hard. But when you're, it's about picking the right one. It's about picking the right people. Working for a management company is. Yeah. You know, it's it's a paradigm shift for a lot of people, and sometimes it works well, sometimes it doesn't. But it's um, but you do need to be educated on what it is, how it works, what are the options, because it is it's not going anywhere. It's a major yeah. part of our industry on what we're doing and how to stay effective. Yeah, so yeah, you're right. It's it's not going anywhere. And in fact, I think I think the shift is from from my perspective is, you know, the the you know big legacy flight departments with, um, you know, super heavy weighted uh, head counts and, and overly onerous processes and things like that. I, I really see those and I've, I've watched them for the last decade, just 
trickle down slowly one after another, right? And it doesn't mean those companies still don't own airplanes, but I think what you're starting to see is, you know, this purely traditional managed situation like Andy's team offers, right? And then you see this sort of hybrid approach, like he was talking about before, where the owners employ the pilots, right? And then everything else is outsourced or, you know, they employ um, maybe one technician in the pilots and then they outsource the scheduling piece and, and some of the other things, right? But I, I definitely think the trend of the flight department, and, and, and I know there's plenty who will argue with me on that, but um, they'll look around and realize they're one of the last ones, right? But it's, uh, it's definitely a shift um, towards this managed environment. Yeah, I was at an MBAA event a few years ago. This was when uh, Eli, our staff liaison at the time, was getting ready to retire. And he pulled me aside and said, hey, you know, I really like the way that you, you know, you represent, uh, you know, be, being a part of a management company within the committee. And I, I really see that that's where that's going to go, you know, exactly to your point, Nathan. He said it a lot like you just did. Yep. You know, he said, keep keep advocating yep. for that and keep, you know, keep pushing for that because, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely different. You know, we, we have... Folks who come here, if, if we're going to, you know, manage an aircraft that previously, you know, was out on their own, you know, they'll they'll bring their team in here, and they're always so reluctant at first, and they're, you know, just like kids on their first day at school, timid and scared and afraid to hop on the school bus. Mm-hmm. But then you'll get that call, you know, first you'll make the commitment, and we're gonna we're gonna be here for you, and you know, you're gonna you know work well with us, and this is going to be okay. We're gonna get through this together. And more times than not, I've you know gotten a phone call a year later saying, you know what, you were right. This does work out pretty well. It is a good team, and you did do what you said. Mm-hmm. This isn't so bad, right? So. Right, didn't hurt. <laughs> yeah, you probably take you probably take a lot off their plate, you know, and the stress that some of them feel. I mean, you'd have to be. I feel like you'd have to be in love with aviation to have your own flight department now. <clears throat> like you're the principal you fly, you're in aviation, you have this hangar, like it, it just had to be your life. Otherwise, I think most people just look at it. <clears throat> it's just a business tool, you know, to move them from point A to point B. <clears throat> and that's it. They don't have the same passion that we all do about the airplane. Absolutely. Well, I think we've tacked, we've taken up a lot of his executive time here. So, you know, we don't want to know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, He's probably missed all bunches of calls while he was on here. Somebody's going to blame us. And, it's, and if they do, that's Andy Nixon. It's Andy Nixon's fault. Um, that's right. But, uh, you know, I am, Andy has always been a great resource. He does answer his phone. He does, um, you know, he's. I, I think that's one of the greatest things. This, this, um, the maintenance side of the industry has always been full of people who are always willing to share their knowledge to talk about it because helping, you know, we all rise. You know, it's kind of one of those things you, you, you help everybody and it, it benefits the entire industry. And, you know, he lives it, he works it professionally and personally is with what he shares with the industry. And so he really is kind of a legend. And over the next few years, we'll just have to make sure that it stays that way. And we'll just maybe even get him his own socks or something. I don't know. We'll figure something out. I want that button. <laughs> the button. Oh, we will have a button. It'll be a big one. A big button. It's going down. <laughs> yeah, we will have a button. get Laura Scanlon to help make those. <laughs> <laughs> there you go but no thank you so much for your time today and um we'll be looking for that quote for a myers to see mm, yeah. what, how that's going to work that on the certificate too. that's right get that myers on no. the certificate see how that's going to work the security is so tight there where andy is that i taxied in one day and i almost got tased by the line service guy because i was there to meet with
with uh, Paul and Laura. And the guy was thinking I was like from like from outer space when I got out of the plane. <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> He's looking for his pizza. I He was. Yeah, I had to move it over to the I was parked next to a golf stream. They're like, nope, you need to move that <laughs> thing over there. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, goodness. What? Okay. Well, I think on that note, it's either going to get really, really bad or we're, I think we've probably about taken up enough of his time. But Andy, thank you very much. Um, uh, Nathan, Andy Nixon, any last yes, last words? No, I appreciate you coming <laughs> on, Andy. And I appreciate how humble yeah. you are. It is, it's very cool to be able to, uh, I can text you to ask you if you want to come on the podcast and you text me back within two minutes so it's it's amazing to have yeah, somebody at that awesome. level that can take the time to to communicate with other people for sure no that that's all good all good I, I appreciate the invite appreciate the what i think will probably be the funnest hour of the day, of the day. so uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go having me guys really appreciate it take care all right thanks andy all right